Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for joining us at Church Online, uh, for joining us at YouTube, at Church on Main Street. Thank you for being here. Special note to all of those who are out at Church Online today. You folks, yeah, you folks are looking really, really good today. And I'm not just saying that. I've got a monitor right up here. We can see what you're doing at home, so you better pay attention. We can see it. For those of you who are at Church Online and those at Church on Main Street, let me tell you, it's kind of exciting. Our online audience is now right around the same size or even larger than our Church on Main Street audience. So it's cool how the church is growing. Now, as you know, we are uh, moving towards the end of the what feels like the never-ending series called Follow. It has been an eight-week series, and we're in eight uh, episode 7 today, but don't worry, have no fear. If you uh, go to intoone.ca, you can see the entire series there. You can watch or you can listen to it. You can send your friends to it as well. Next week is going to be the final episode of Follow, and this is especially important today because some of you, about halfway through today's message, you're going to be thinking, wow, I wish my boss was here. And so you'll be able to send them a link so that they can check out today's episode and all of the other former episodes as well. Now, if you are here today and you are the boss or the manager or the company owner or you run that classroom or whatever it is that you might do, you can't escape because you are here and you are to be about to be held accountable to something that's absolutely extraordinary. Let me explain. In this series, Follow, we're talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And different ones of you are at different stages in your followship. All right? For some of you, you're like me. You grew up in church, and you grew up believing it, that Jesus is the Son of God since you were like six or seven years old, so it's pretty easy for you. You're used to the whole thing. Others of you, you're at the, I guess, the other end of their spectrum where you're just beginning to follow. And as we said from the very beginning of this series, you don't have to believe everything to be a follower. And you don't have to obey everything to be a follower. And at Into One, you can belong before you believe. Many of Jesus' first century followers, they did not believe everything about Him until the end. And they certainly, they certainly didn't obey everything He taught until way close to the end. So we are at uh, different stages in different places, but most of us are trying to figure out right now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Now, when you hear the phrase, follow Jesus, there is an assumption that we uh, haven't talked about, that I would like to talk about today, and simply this. <clears throat> if Jesus is someone to be followed, that He must be a leader worth following. When we think about Jesus, we don't tend to think about Him in terms of leadership. We tend to think about Jesus in terms of a religious figure. But Jesus was an, actually an extraordinary, extraordinary leader. So today, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus gives us His secret of great leadership. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you get to pick and choose which parts of this you like or you don't like, all right? You're not obligated. If you are a Jesus follower, 
This is the leadership into which Jesus has invited and actually commanded us, for those of us who follow Him. This is how He wants us to lead. So think of it this way. Jesus built His brand in three years, has hundreds of thousands of franchises all over the world without racking up a single frequent flyer mile, without using a YouTube channel, without writing a book, without calling a conference. And that's pretty extraordinary, don't you think? That's more than I'm going to ever do. It's more than you're going to ever do probably too. So today, today's message, our passage for today's message, we're going to look at a conversation between Jesus and uh, His followers where He basically stopped them on their way to Jerusalem, hold up boys, and He said, okay, if you're ever in a position where you have authority, and all of these guys would be, If you're ever in a position where you are viewed as a leader, and all of these guys would be, you know, except for one, uh, Jesus said, this is how you lead. If you're going to be my follower, this is how I want you to exercise authority when you have authority. So if you have a Bible, either a digital one or a a physical one, turn to the, uh, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark is one of the gospel writers. Mark was not one of Jesus' apostles. Mark was actually someone who knew Peter. Uh, And we think that all of Mark's content came from his conversations, his relationship with the apostle Peter, who, of course, was an eyewitness of all these things. Okay, so Mark chapter 10, we're going to pick it up as Jesus and his apostles are headed for Jerusalem. And a little bit of a repeat of what we had found in last episode He's trying to explain to them that things aren't going to go well, as they have, not, not as well as they had in the past. So here comes Jesus. We see him on the road. Here comes his apostles. They're right with him. And here comes the crowd that follows behind him. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, because it's at the top of a hill, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Now, that references uh, something that had just happened, okay? And I bet you want to know what just happened, don't you, right? Well, you're going to have to look that up for yourself sometime at a later time. 32, again, okay? As in, he's done this before. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Now, he keeps trying And if you were here for the last two episodes, Jesus keeps trying to explain to his apostles, look, guys, it's been great, okay? But it's not going to stay great. We have been on the pinnacle of success and popularity, and that is about to change. If you're going to be close to me, get ready for some hard times because things are about to go south a whole bunch. So he takes them aside told them what was going to happen. Verse 33, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, talking about himself, will be delivered to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. In other words, you've seen, you remember that they've tried to arrest me in the past, right? But they haven't been successful. Well, that's, that's about to change, right? They're going to be successful very shortly. You've seen how in the past the crowds have sort of fended them off and kept them from getting too close to me, right? Yeah, that's about to change, all right? They will condemn him. 
talking about himself again, to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. That would be the Romans. Verse 34, who will, and then he gets a little bit graphic, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Talking about himself in the third person. Three days later, he will rise. Now, this is kind of a tender moment. They're on their way to Jerusalem, and he's saying, hold on, when we get to Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen, and it's going to happen a lot to me. And when that happens, I don't want you to be surprised by it, okay? I'm telling you in advance. It's not going to be like those other times when we've been here. It's not like those other trips that we've made. This is going to be different, so you get ready. Make sure you're all in, because I'm going to get arrested, spit on, flogged, killed, and on the third day I will rise. Then Mark tells us, then, like right then, like the very next thing, then, 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Really? Seriously? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, about, uh, sorry about all the spitting and the flogging and stuff, but hey, would you do us a favor? Yeah, that sounds really, really bad, but let's not linger, okay, in the negative, right? So, hey, will you do us a favor? <coughs> and if you're a parent, I bet you've had this moment or moments like this where you've had that kind of intense, intimate poignant encounter. Talk with your kids. You're saying, son, never forget. And you turn to your daughter and you go, honey, always remember to. And and, and you're having that tender, connected, passionate moment with your kids. And you say, now, do you have any questions? And you're sitting maybe at the dinner table and you think that you've connected with your kids and all your wisdom and knowledge and passion and heart flowed to your kids and they're so quiet and they're leaning in. Do you have any questions, kids? And one of your kids says, yeah. Can we go upstairs now? (laughs) Or, 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 hey, hey, Dad, do you know when you talk that you use your hands a lot? It's like, Really? I just, I just poured out my heart, my passion, my vulnerability, and you, you just want to go upstairs now? That's the moment. That's what it was like. Jesus had just shared all the stuff that's going to happen to him, and it's like, oh, wow, that's awful. But would you do us a favor? Will, will you do something for us? And in that moment, it's amazing, right? People are great. They are a lot like a box of chocolates. So he says, what do you want? What, what, what do you want me to do for you? And they, the two apostles, they kind of had Jesus, you know, they kind of pulled him off to the side a little bit. And verse 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You know, after all that spitting and flogging and dying stuff is, you know, whatever, after you've done that, because we know that you're going to be king. And we said last episode that the apostles expected Jesus to, you know, throw off the rabbinic robe and pick up the king's robe and be proclaimed the king of Israel. And their greatest concern at this point was when you are the king, can we be close to you? 
When you're the king, when you have ultimate authority, we know we can't be the king. That's fine. But can we be like the left-hand guy and the right-hand guy? Can we exercise authority and power with you? And so their biggest concern is not what is going to happen to Jesus, but what is going to happen to them? So they, you know, they've edged over away from the other guys. And they're like, hey, we're wondering, you know, you'll probably have the penthouse office, Jesus, and that's awesome. But can we have like the corner office over here and the corner office over here right next to the penthouse office? And Jesus looks at them and he says, you know what? You're not up to this. Even if it were, even if it were to say yes, you couldn't handle it because you can't handle the truth. And that's the truth. You couldn't handle being that close to me. So he has this little conversation with them off to the side. And while Jesus is kind of, you know, fending them off, redirecting them, instead of getting mad like any of us would have, it must have been so disconcerting though. Just pour out your heart. Things that are horrible are going to happen to you. And then the very next thing you know, they haven't even listened and they're asking for a favor. So Jesus is talking to these two over here. But meanwhile, Mark tells us more and look what happens. Verse 41, when the ten heard about this. Okay, so there are two talking with Jesus over here, and then there's the other ten apostles. And when the others, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. No surprise. Now, we find out they weren't indignant like, how could you be so insensitive to Jesus? He's talking about the spitting and the flogging and the dying, and you just want him to do you a favor. They weren't indignant like that. They were indignant because, hey, wait a minute. We want to be on the left, and we want to be on the right too. We don't want to be left out of this next big move. It's like a big food fight and a big fight over who gets what and where they get to go and on and on and on. And the next thing you know, 12 disciples are all fighting, arguing over who gets what when Jesus becomes the king. And Jesus realizes, okay, time out. You guys have not been paying attention. So he calls a halt. We can't keep going. We got to stop before we get to Jerusalem. You got to get this in your head. So he pulls them over to the side, tells them to sit under the happy sycamore tree. I just made that part up. So, fellas, before we get to Jerusalem, we have been over this before, but let's go over it one more time. This is the moment where Jesus spells out for them what leadership is all about in the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom begins here on earth. What leadership is all about in the kingdom of God, the way that we're going to lead, and, and, and then he is going to say to them, and he says to us at the same time, when you are the leader, when you have authority, when you are exercising authority over people, here is the way to do it. If you're going to be my follower, if you are going to follow me in the exercise of authority and the use of power, 42, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So he uses two different Greek words here that mean basically the same thing, and here is what he's saying. You know how leadership works. You know that if you're the leader, then you lord it over all the people who are under your authority. You know how authority works. When you are the one in authority, then you leverage 
your authority for what is best for you. Everybody who is under your authority, they are there to serve you. And then the second Greek word infers an abuse of power, an abuse of authority. You, you, you know how this whole thing works, right? If you are the king, then you exercise authority over everyone else. If you are the ruler, you exercise authority over everyone else. And they are there for your pleasure. And they are there to do your bidding. It's all about you. They are all there for you. That's the point. That's the goal. And when Jesus says this to the apostles, you, you, you know how the Gentile world and how the people who are ru rulers lorded over the people who are under their authority. The apostles are going, right, exactly. That's why we want to be in charge. We don't want to be lorded over. We want to lord over. We don't want to be ruled over. We want to be the rulers. Jesus, we know we can't be you. You're, you're you. But can we just be a little you? Can we just be little you so that we have some authority over some littler you's and some smaller you's? I mean, yeah, we know how this world works. You don't have to explain it to us. We have lived in it our whole lives. We have lived under it our whole lives. That is why we want to sit on your left hand, and that's why we want to sit on your right hand, so that we can have authority over people over whom we have authority. We know. And Jesus smiles perhaps and says, 43, not so with you. In other words, you know how this works. Yep, not so with you. You have seen how authority operates in the Roman Empire. You have seen how authority operates in our Jewish society. You have seen how authority operates in culture. Yeah, we do, Jesus says. Not so with you. You know how it is that, that, that when there are people under your authority that you think that they're there for your pleasure, that they're there to do your bidding, and it's all about you, you know how it works. Yeah! Not so with you. And then Jesus, in His characteristic way, turns the thing completely upside down, and He says, if you are going to follow Me, and you're going to claim to be My followers, then you have to lead like I lead. And here's how I lead. And here's how I expect you to lead anytime you find yourself in a position of authority. Still, verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, pause, this part is so important, right? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, and great in this context means lead. Great in this context means rule. Great in this context means exercise authority. Jesus says, do you want to be great? And we're all like, yeah, we want to be great. Would you like to exercise authority? You mean, you mean like be the boss? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would like to be the boss. Would you like to run the whole department? 
yeah, and we're like, this is like a pep rally. We're just going, yeah, we're just cheering loudly. Would you like to run the whole branch? Oh, yeah, I think I could run the whole branch. Would you like to be responsible for great responsibilities? We're like, yeah. Jesus says, okay, it's good to want to be great. But if you're going to be great the way that I am great and the way I expect you to be great, here's how it works. Still in 43, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And he deflates the ego. Just 44, whoever wants to be first, you are the you that everyone looks to. There's a meeting, and the decision has to be made at the end. Conversation is over. Everyone swings their eyes over to you. That kind of a you. You are the big you, he says. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. At which point the apostles are like, well, well I don't even know if that's going to work. All right? I mean, n- n- nothing's going to get done, right? You just took everything that we know about authority and everything that we know about leading and everything that we know about ruling. You just took it all. Turn it all and you just turn the whole thing upside down. What do you mean that if we want to be great, we have to be a servant? I don't get it. What do you mean if we want to be first, we have to be slave at all? Now, when you hear something like that, or you read something like that, or you hear me read something like that, when you think about where you work, you think about the corporate world, you think about the marketplace, I know there are some of you who are thinking, and I understand this, okay? Please, please, please don't tell us that you are going to expect us to do that. Graham, buddy, That probably works great in the church, especially like 2,000 years ago, okay? That probably works great in some kind of religious context, but that doesn't work in the marketplace, okay? And that doesn't work in the real world. Hello? And here is why we're talking about this today. If you are going to be a Jesus follower, which means you don't just follow Jesus on Sunday mornings, you don't just follow Jesus when it's time to discipline your kids, You don't just follow Jesus when you're loving your husband or loving your wife. If you're going to be a Jesus follower in all capacities, this is part of our responsibility. It's learning to lead like Jesus, where instead of lording over, we learn to serve. Now, some of you work in organizations where you see this happen all the time. Some of you actually lead divisions or departments, organizations, branches, classrooms, where you've actually learned to lead this way. But it is not necessarily intuitive. Now here is what Jesus is not saying. Jesus isn't arguing against point leadership, right? The reason that we know He's not arguing against point leadership is because He was the point leader, and He appointed some point leaders. Jesus is not saying, you just stand at the door, all right, all day, and you say, oh, no, no, you first. Mm -hmm. You first. Oh, no, you first. I'm not going to get anything ever done because I'm serving everyone else. He's not saying that because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus got an extraordinary amount of things done, and so did His followers. 
What Jesus is teaching is not about being passive. It's not about being unproductive. He's simply teaching that when we have authority and when we have power, we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. That's it. Whenever we have authority, we are to leverage our authority for the sake of those under our authority, whether it is at home, in the marketplace, in the community, in a school, in a nonprofit world, in a for-profit world. And the truth is, if you have ever, ever seen this being done, you know it creates a much better atmosphere and a much stronger culture, even though on the front end it doesn't seem very intuitive. And here's why. Because if you believe in your organization or wherever you work, if you believe that I am here for me, then you better be on the lookout for you, right? Some of you work in places like that, don't you? So, so some of you have accidentally created workplaces like that because I'm in, the, in this for me. It's all about my name. It's all about my reputation. It's all about my career. It's all about my advancement. And if you work for someone who has that perspective on leadership and on authority, then you know you have to watch your back because nobody else will. But imagine an environment. Imagine a workplace. Imagine a context where you believe that I am for you. You can be for the people who report to you. And Jesus says, that is it. That's what I want you to go and create wherever you go. Wherever you go, whenever you exercise authority, whenever you exercise any kind of leadership or coaching, directorship, I want you to do it in such a way that the people who report to you and the people who respond to you and the people who have chosen to follow you, now they're your responsibility, and they know you care. In every single case, I want them to live with the confidence that as their leader, you are there for them. You're not just there for yourself. If you're going to lead like, if you're going to leave like Jesus, if you're going to follow him in your leadership, that's how it works. Turn the whole authority pyramid upside down. You lead for the benefit of the people you lead. Throughout this series, I've told you that uh, if you follow Jesus, your life will be better. I've told you that. If you follow Jesus, you will do life better. And we said in the last couple of episodes that every once in a while, there is going to be a butting of heads between your will and God's will, and those are going to be the exceptions to the rule. That for the most part, if you will follow Jesus, your life will be better. And here is a perfect example because if you have ever worked for someone or you've ever worked in a company where the person you work for had the employee's best interests in mind, come on, you know what a powerful, replenishing environment that can be. If you have ever worked for someone where it's all about them, you know that everybody is looking for a different or a new opportunity. The only reason that they're still there is because they just can't afford to go anywhere else yet. So, if you are a Jesus follower, if you're planning to be, if you're beginning to be, if you're leaning into following Jesus, be forewarned. If you are somebody who carries responsibility for other people, 
If you have any kind of authority, if you are in a leadership position, your Savior has called you and called me to lead in such a way that people know that we are there for them and not there for us. I feel this incredible responsibility to get this right, and I certainly don't get it right all the time. But because we are a church and because we are called to emulate the teachings of Jesus within our into one culture, this is really, really a big deal for us. This is part of what I keep calling the environment, all right? I'm talking about the environment all the time. Don't believe me? Ask Sarah, okay? She'll tell you, oh yeah, Graham's like blah, 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 into one environment. Somehow the windows and the toilet paper and the graphics and the greetings, the everything, blah, 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 the environment. So, it's something we talk about all the time, and we're working all the time in the context of how do we grow it. Environment is the way it feels. It's the experience that you have. Well, that's not just up to me, though, right? That's up to anyone who has some of the leadership around here. That's up to anyone who has some, uh, that, that, that you, someone else that you might bump into or talk to. That's up to anyone who comes here and they say, this is my home church. Into One is not Graham's church. It is my church. I'm a part of it. I'm a part of what brings it to life. Here's a question. That is an excellent summary of so much in the environment creating business. Anyone can ask it. I hope everyone will ask it. It will make an enormous difference in the way everything happens and feels. It's not a complicated question. It's really very easy to ask. You don't even usually have to find the right person to ask. You can start by asking yourself this question and then searching out the answer. Do you want to know what that magic little question is? Simply this. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? I think this is a question that if each one of you decided, I'm going to ask this question one time a day to a person in this room, to a person in your home, to a person at work, it might just change the mood that you create when you walk in a room. It might change our entire into-one culture. It might take the into-one environment and export it to all the different places that you go. What can I do to help? Because when you ask, what can I do to help, essentially you're asking this question. How can I loan you, me, for you? How can I bring my resources? How can I bring my authority? How can I bring all of the things that I control, all the things that I influence, how can I bring it to bear on your life? What can I do to help? How simple is that? But you see, that's the gospel right there. This is God in some kind of way, cosmic way, looking down on our sin-filled, broken world and asking the question, what can I do to help? Because they can't fix it. They're a mess. They need help. What can I do to help? How do I loan who I am to who they are? How do I loan what I have to their need? What can I do to help? In your experience, I'm telling you, for some of you, if your boss were to work in, walk in tomorrow and say, hey, what can I do to help? 
you would pass out, right? Because you work in an environment where the boss isn't supposed to ask that. You're supposed to ask that, and you've got that feeling for years. You're supposed to ask your boss, right? Flip the pyramid. Maybe in your world, you would be the one freaking people out because the people around you think they are there for you. They don't view you as being there for them. And Jesus says it's very simple. You are to leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority. And one of the simplest ways to do that is to blend into your culture this simple but very powerful question, what can I do to help? The other thing that you can do, look for opportunities to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Jesus did this. Jesus, Jesus did this all the time, right? You read the Gospels with, with this in mind. It's amazing. He didn't heal everybody. He didn't feed everybody. He didn't visit everybody. He didn't stop in every town. And He did for one what He wished He could do for everyone. This is symbolic leadership. And it's the way that you, you dip into other people's worlds and you loan yourself to them for them instead of always expecting them to loan themselves to you for you. What can I do to help? I, I want to leverage who I am for you. I want to leverage my resources for you. I have more responsibility because I have more authority and I have more access to more resources. So the bottom line, Leverage your authority for the benefit of the people under your authority. It's a game changer. It, it, it is life changing. But, but, but as some of you already know, whether you're a Christian or not, or whether you read the Bible or not, this is the hallmark of great leadership. This is what great leaders do. And it's what Jesus did. And it's what he modeled for us. And it's at the core of what we believe as Christians. It's at the core of who we are as Jesus followers. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you can decide whether or not you want to be a big you. It's all about you. Or you can be a big you. That it's all about the little yous under you. But if you are a Jesus follower, this is the standard to which we've been called. I believe, and I think that you would agree if you are a Christian, I believe that any place there is a Jesus follower who is responsible for other people, I think it should be the most well-run, productive, nimble, get-the-job-done, safe-for-women, extraordinary, ex organized place on the planet. I fall short of that every time. But that's where I'm shooting and I need your help to move in that direction. I think that people should be dying to want to hire people who follow Jesus because of this one idea. Because who doesn't want to work for somebody who's, who it's, it's all about them and not all about themselves? I think that people should think, hire all the Christians that you can. They are the most productive. They work hard. They care about people. They measure success the way the company measures success. And they don't lose perspective along the way. They're honest. I don't know why everybody wouldn't want to hire Christians because of this one idea. 
that Jesus leaves us with that's all about people, loving people, that when you exercise authority for the sake of the people over which you exercise authority, it's a total game changer. I just think everybody in our culture should want to work for a Christian. They may say, I don't want to be a Jesus follower, no way, but I want to work for one. I don't want to be a Jesus follower, but I will hire all of them I can get because they genuinely care about people. They get the job done. They're professional. They're diligent. It's like they do their work for God and not even for some boss. It's amazing. I just think that if we as the Christian community got this one thing right, it would be revolutionary in our culture. And we don't need leadership gurus or management gurus to tell us this. This is the essence of who we are. It's the essence of what we believe as Christians. That whenever we have any element of authority, we are to leverage that authority for the good of the people under our authority because that is what our Heavenly Father did for us. But... If you are going to do this, one of the things that you're going to have to confront is your ego. Because if you grew up in a culture like I grew up in this culture that says, hey, it's all about me. It's all about my career. It's all about my name. It's all about my brand. It's all about me. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. Look at me. I deserve more. But if you are a Jesus follower, at some point along the way, you have to go and look in the mirror and ask yourself a question. It's a big question. Don't miss this. You have to ask yourself this question. Are you really worth living your life for? Is your name a great enough name to give your life to? Is that it? Are you it? Are you the end? Are you big enough? Are you worth giving your life to? I think the answer is no. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity and a responsibility to leverage whatever authority that God gives you in this, in this life to do uh, such a way that brings praise and glory to His name. Your name is not worth living for. Neither is mine. Your glory and my glory isn't worth giving our life to. We have an opportunity, and I think most of us would agree not just an opportunity, but an obligation to lean in all that we have, all that we can into Him, so that we could do that in the marketplace. We can do that at work. We can do that with your career. You can do that with all of your ambition. You can do that with all of your drive and with all of your energy. You can do that with all of the leadership skills that God has given you, and you can do it in such a way that it ultimately brings credit and it brings glory to the name of your Savior. Jesus says, if you are going to be my follower, that's how you are to do it. Not so with you. You know how everybody else does it, guys. Yeah? Not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you. And here's what we know. You're better off. Everybody that works with you and for, for you is better off. Your company is better off. Your organization is better off. The marketplace is better off. Life is better if you follow 
Jesus. Now, listen to how the story ends. Mark takes us um, to the end. All of our excuses get put away. Here's how the conversation ends. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. In other words, if you're a Jesus follower and you think it's all about you, then you have rated yourself above Jesus. Do you think you're more important than Jesus? I don't think I'm more important than Jesus. Then what are you doing expecting people to serve you with no benefit and no thought of how it serves them? And even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done. And how far did I take it? Losing a bonus? Sharing profits? Sharing credit for an idea? No, 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 no. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And He says to us, follow me. Come on, follow me. Follow me and figure out how to leverage your authority for the sake, for the benefit of the people who are under your authority. And you will be better off. They will be better off. Everybody wins if you choose to follow me. So what does that look like in your world? Where do you begin? How could you begin that tomorrow? What, how could you begin that today? Hey, what can I do to help? How can I begin to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone? And in that way, be a display. And in that uh, way, be a model. And in that way, reflect what our Heavenly Father has done for each of us. Leverage your authority for the sake of those who are under your authority. Why? Because it is what Jesus did, and it is what He has called us to do. What can I do to help? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for preserving this ancient text and this amazing story and watching Jesus in action. God, we want to get this right We've seen it done wrong so many times, so give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard. For us, how will we respond? What's the courage that we need? Father, provide that. And how awesome to think that we can reflect this kind of humility in a marketplace that knows very little of you and would assume that something like this would never, ever work. So, Father, I pray that we would be that generation. And again, that you give us the courage to take this step, whatever it is for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.